Hey everybody, today on Industry Relations, we're going to be talking to David Blum and how he's trying to make the Bloomberg terminal for real estate. Or is that Blumberg? We'll find out. This is Industry Relations, a podcast that's at the intersection of real estate and technology from an insider's perspective with Rob Hahn and Greg Robertson. Hey everybody, welcome to an episode of Industry Relations with Rob and Greg. I am obviously uh, your co-host, Rob Hahn. And with me is my other co-host with the wonderful hair, Greg Robertson. Mr. Robertson, how are you? <laughs> Hola, Rob. I mean, Hola. <laughs> becoming a hair podcast, I don't know. I know, right? You I'll know, take what it is. compliment. It, I'll take it, the compliment. It's it's because and then I hope by this time you know this is sort of our new format. People can actually see us as well as hear us. And now I think they can all see my hair is just turning white and gray, and yours is black as as the time you were a teenage boy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, great to see you. And I think we have a pretty interesting show uh, planned for today. We wanted to bring on. A special guest to talk about, and this is a little bit older, you know, because he he wrote about it in terms of sort of a 2022 predictions. But I think there's a lot there that I think we can learn from. So let's bring in Mr. David Blum. Great to be here. I I think I'm way ahead of both you guys on the white hair. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us, David. David, he is the uh, co-founder of Plunk, which is a prop tech company, uh, startup, relatively new, right? How long you guys been in been around? Well, my co-founder and I started um, experimenting around with uh, what we wanted to build a couple years ago, uh, but we got into market and got our seed funding last May. Okay, right on. Right in the middle of the pandemic, as it were. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Great time to start a real estate prop tech company. What, what would be your elevator pitch for Plunk, um, David? Well, we're bringing the next generation real-time analytics platform to residential real estate. Oh, and we're going to get into that, I think, as the substance of this, because one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you is uh, you wrote a, you were part of the, the year-end sort of predictions for 2022 on the Geek Estate Mastermind, and you, you wrote some some real interesting kind of things on it. I'm just going to really briefly talk about um this is what you wrote. The world's largest asset class both demands and deserves better than home price index reports based on a data limited approach published quarterly and reflecting information that is more than 60 days old. Uh, as Wall Street moves intentionally into residential real estate, there will be an increasing push to develop same analytic forecasting tools that enable confident and frictionless investing. Okay, let's talk about that um, all kind of together in detail. The first, I think, would be just tell, what is wrong with kind of home price index? What's wrong with the way we do things now? Late. It's mm. um, driving a boat, looking at the wake behind. <laughs> it's it's not useful for the lightning fast decisions that so many entities are trying to make, not just homeowners, but lenders and uh, insurers. And now Wall Street coming into this investment class in scale and programmatic buying they expect a bloomberg terminal telling them what's going on in real estate and it's got to reflect current activity and it was surprising to brian and i my co-founder that there just wasn't any kind of real-time understanding of the performance of real estate hmm. so how i mean how'd you even how, how was this even a problem you guys saw like were you doing real estate investing like there's always a story i feel like with prop tech you know, startup founders, you know, like how do you guys even identify this as an issue to tackle? 
So I first got my feet wet in real estate in 1994, working for National Association of Real Estate on bringing listings online. Right. That was really the start of Realtor.com, what um, was home store, and then went through several iterations and became a, a series of properties that got broken up. And I had not been in real estate since that endeavor, wanted to get back into it because I, on a personal level, am very active in real estate. I've always loved it. Mm -hmm. uh, that includes being a carpenter and a home builder during high oh. school and college. It includes being a landlord with you know multiple family rentals, 1031 tax exchanges. I've built several new houses. I like the process of building a new house more than sitting down and enjoying them, apparently. Um, I've got several recreation properties I enjoy. I've, I did the original, I think, or one of the original uh, shared fractional ownership. Oh, wow. um, okay. Out, out of college, I had not anywhere near the money to afford a second home. But I sold quarter shares to my high school buddies that um, were all in a similar position to me. And we built a, a second home 30 years ago, which I still enjoy today. Wow. Right on. So you just saw analytics and this valuation kind of as the key thing. Now, Greg happens to be in that business. Yes. <laughs> I mean, what do you think? What's is is this speed thing the real gap? Yeah, I mean, so so a couple things. Uh, I would kind of disagree with you. Like, I think there's a lot of people trying to do this or have been trying to do this forever, right? I mean, House Canary, Black Knight, Zillow. I mean, everybody's trying to kind of, unless I'm not understanding what the thing is here, but everybody's trying to come up with the best way of evaluating what a home is worth as quickly as possible. I don't think anybody wants to make it, you know, slow or bad. I mean, it, they want it to be as accurate and as as most, you know, as recent as possible, right? So, um, I think there's a lot of people have, who have been trying to figure that out. Am, am I wrong? Well, we run a model on every home in America, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And we set our models up such that you can play with the inputs, which allows you to do what if scenarios on what the house would be worth if you remodeled it and changed its configuration, added a bedroom, upgraded the kitchen, just a finished grade level or two. So by saying that there's been a lot of people attacking this problem, the granularity has not been at a home level. It's been at a level. What is his estimate? Sorry? What's his estimate? This estimate. Um, That's every home. And I mean, that's their whole value proposition is they've done valuations on every home in America. Well, and many other people have too, but it turns out a home's value changes price every minute, just like a stock. It's going up with the same pressures, the same market forces that change people's belief in what Tesla is worth or what they are willing to spend on a brand new car. Um, there's all kinds of economic forces that is non-real estate data that shape and form a local real estate market. If you look at Seattle, it's job growth in the high-tech sector. These are the jobs, you know, I, I, <laughs> this is scary to me because we compete in this labor market here in Seattle, but, you know, Amazon just raised their base pay to $350,000 for mm. incoming engineer. And it's already been impossible to compete at the wage levels and the RSUs that they're able to offer people. That's what's driving our housing market. Well, it turns out there's lots of data sets in the Seattle area we can input into our learning models and get much more accurate about what is going to move home prices going forward. 
we yeah, look at. I, I, I guess I understand. I mean, you're saying, you know, it's not a granularity thing. I mean, Zillow is doing that with every home in America. You're saying your algorithm is better than what Zillow and others are doing because the data points you're using will make it more up to date or more recent than than what's being done now. It it captures buyer sentiment and the forces that are going to move the market. Um, two, it's it's dynamic. You can change it in real time. A realtor can sit down in a listing presentation, take picture, pictures of the inside of the home. Um, Zillow has no idea what the inside of a home looks like, mm-hmm. and um, they admit that. We allow you to take a simple smartphone. Hold on, hold on. That, that's not entirely true, right? I mean, I just remember Zillow um, takes images of the home and I think it was announced about a year and a half ago that they use those images that are now part of this estimate, right? I mean, that's yeah, uh, not happening. Right there, Rob? It's a, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? I don't it? recall if it was estimate or for the um, uh, offers product. Right. But I know they were talking about, I mean, everyone's constantly looking for ways to make things yeah. more accurate. And that's kind of a related question is, okay, I mean, I think what you've described, David, is kind of the holy grail on the valuation side of things. I mean, I would have thought that the iBuying guys would be 100% obsessed with this because oh, yeah. right? they're actually putting their own money behind these decisions. Like, is it, mm-hmm. it, I guess, in a way, I guess what I'm wondering is, is what you've built essentially the same thing that, you know, Open Door and Zillow offers and all these guys well, hopefully have? Hopefully, it's not what Zillow offers was using because that blew up in their face, right? Again, so. it didn't. Let's be clear <laughs> about this. Their algorithms were never wrong. It's that human beings overrode what the algorithms told them it was okay. worth. So that's a whole different. <laughs> I'm glad you pointed it out, Rob, because the, the official word has been, and we don't know why, but you know, Rich is a very smart guy, and he definitely threw his algorithms under the bus. But we do know that they weren't paying attention to their algorithms in, mm-hmm. in, in respect to what they were offering homes, and we were able to track that. Right. Um, so their reasons aside, this uh, challenge of understanding what a home's worth right now um, Zillow has offered their estimate as a marketing tool to start the discussion. Right, right. And, and we never would say that, and we would never claim that. We're just going after a different level of ground truth and a different level of real time. So we can put a home's value literally on a ticker and show you how it's changing daily. Um, and then again, of course, we can dynamically change it based on new facts, new information, updated, corrected facts, and pictures of the home, both inside and outside. And finally, you know, we can predict what the home would be worth if you remodeled it before you spend the money. And that's the level of comprehension we're bringing to evaluation. Yeah, and okay. like you know, going back to what Rob was asking me, the, the the myth about cloud CMA is that it comes up with a, you know, we have our own algorithm. Right, which is it doesn't do that. It's a presentation tool. So our our belief has always been that you know nothing's going to beat the the eyes, ears, and nose of a good agent uh, who knows the market to you know use you guys, use assessment, use whatever as input for them to kind of take all that as a human being and then put what they think the price, what they think the the value should be. Right. Um, I mean, but you know what I always have these problems. These algorithms are or apps that use algorithms, and I know that's not exactly what your guys are doing, is, and it's my Twitter handle now, it's Zillow can't smell the cat, right? It's it's just, there's there's these undefinable things, like when my wife walked into the house, we're here like, wow, this is it, right? Or without those, those things like that, right? So it's like, it's just, to me, it's I've always been very um, 
you know, just dismissive probably is probably the worst thing I can say, but just like not a really believer that a computer um, can, you know, can uh, just home, a home is weird. It's just to me a special case. And I know I'll, I'll probably be proved wrong, but um, I just, I, I just never <laughs> felt that, that there's going to be any algorithm that can really accurately come up with that price. Well, no, algorithm is going to figure out how that client is going to keep their house clean for showings and present it right, properly. Right. And that's a adjustment a realtor has to make. The smells, as you mentioned, no algorithm is going to really capture the quality of the view um, and understand how clients are going to perceive that. But also every client puts different value on different things. You know, if, if the house has had a cat in it one buyer might walk in and say you know that's 20 minutes with putting kills on the floor and i want to change the carpet and the floor surfaces anyway another client's going to turn around and walk out so you always have that um that doesn't mean that we don't have a lot of data and we can't give better guidance to both professionals in the real estate business as well as homeowners and home listers and, and home buyers you know from our perspective, we're trying to get ground truth. That doesn't inform a listing strategy. And an agent still is in charge of a listing strategy, where they want to price it, given what they know that no algorithm can capture. But we can get them a lot closer to ground truth. If you look at a CMA, they make adjustments for old closings. They make adjustments for current active listings. But they do it in, the, in a non-data way. They do it in a way that isn't driven by consuming lots of information and making data-driven calculations to adjust the price of a home. And we can do that. Machine learning is, there's no competition between humans and machine learning for crunching lots more data and making data-driven adjustments. And that's what we want to do. Okay, so uh, there's a lot to dig in there, but I, I guess to both you guys, because it still reminds me of that conversation we've been having around like appraisal and UAD and all of this stuff. Like one of the one of the things that constantly comes up with this is, what do we mean by accuracy, right? So when you say, so for example, take Plunk, you, you know, you say, okay, we can predict what if you were to add a kitchen or if you were to do this type of renovation, here's how much the home value would go up. Is is a definition of accuracy how close you are to that date and how real that is? In other words, if you say, listen, your home is worth 500, if you did these four things, it's going to go up to 525. If you do those four things and you put the home on the market and it's at 550, does that mean your algorithm, you know what I mean? Like, is that inaccurate? Is that accurate? How do we think of accuracy in this context? I guess my question. Well, there's multiple levels of accuracy there. First is the value of the home. Um, impacted by that remodel, but then there's mm -hmm. the cost, and we're attacking those as well because the sure. range given by most sites are just not useful. You know, add a fireplace, five to fifty thousand dollars. Right. Okay, that's not helpful. Yeah. yeah right. Right. <laughs> so, picture one dollar and a million dollars. Yes, thanks. So, and you know how much you can put into just an appliance package in a kitchen, but if you take a picture of your desired kitchen and you take a picture of your current kitchen and you send it to us, we will give you a defined accuracy. We'll give you a line-by-line -line list of appliance packages, linear feed of cabinetry, labor, installation of fixtures, 
and you can hand it to a contractor and negotiate the fine details, not feel like you're anxious about talking to a contractor who you know knows a lot more about construction than you do. So accuracy to us isn't so much about um, are we, and we, we want to test this and the models improve as we get more data and they just get better and better. And they're already done at a local level. So we know what, you know, when lumber goes up in price because of a, of a shortage or logistics problem, and copper and, and plywood last summer is a great example. Yeah. We can make those adjustments and help people recalculate and be nimble like that. But the other part is just understanding how to empower somebody to make that decision. If you've got a client and they love that home, they love the neighborhood, they love the way the house sits on the lot, they can't live with that kitchen. Every realtor knows how many times that happens. So now you can whip out a phone, show them inspirational photos, show them how they could remodel that kitchen, show them what it would cost, how much you would improve the value, what the ROI is on that. And that's a real service to empowering a buyer. And of course, a, a lister who's trying to figure out what you know projects to do before they get the most for their home. Yeah, and, and that's 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 great, David. I mean, to me, there's. I mean, well, going back first to kind of Rob's question, you know, what is the goal here, right? What is? It's funny because it's the price. You know, what the list price is. Um, I saw a funny meme the other day on Twitter where it was like they and the meme basically said that when you're inputting a listing into the MLS now, they should change the field name from list price from list price to opening bid, <laughs> right? Because right, all the multiple yeah. offers happening, right? It's like, it's, it's less of pricing something out. It's more of like, what is the auction? What, <laughs> when it starts on there, you know, it's, you got to have that guy that talks fast. Hey, 1,000, 1 million, 1 million, 1 million, 5, 1 million. It, it just becomes that type of situation. So I think the goalposts have changed. I mean, I don't want to say this, right. I think this is going to hurt me saying this, but it's like, is this CMA even valid anymore right now in some of these markets? It's crazy because it, it's becoming an auction type of situation. But going back to David, what David says, I think a good CMA has always, it does a number of things, right? Um, number one, it just establishes the person as a professional, right? Number two, it shows they did their homework. And whether it's a limited data set, like what the active listings are going for, what the sold listings for, or even more, you know, what you guys provide, that's great. But the third thing is, uh, getting, getting the listing, getting them to sign on the dotted line. And all that is, is sales. And in sales, it's all about overcoming an objection and going back to close, overcoming an objection, back to close. So what you said, David, is a, a perfect example of a common objection. Hate the kitchen, right? And if you're able to, if somebody's able to kind of show them really quickly in some manner, like, well, let's overcome that objection. Let's get you to sign. Um, that's very powerful. Very powerful. So I, I grew up in sales. Love it. Love the profession, but I think I was taught um, at an enterprise level to be kind of a consultative salesperson. And once I really understood how to make people heroes and to give them what they were trying to get out of life, it, it changed. And I know most realtors aspire for that kind of impact on their clients, but we want to change the, the narrative to being financial advisors, not transaction facilitators. So... If I'm dealing with an agent, and as you point out, they are doing their homework, they are professional, and, and I see that they have a grasp of analytics about this house. This is my most important, biggest financial commitment. For 97% of Americans, it's 80% of their net worth when they retire. And it 
shelters, it builds relationships, it nurtures families, but it's also the way we pay for our retirement, our college, our bass fishing boat, whatever it might be. So we want the agent to come across as a financial advisor and be guiding them to get the most economic value out of their entire homeowner journey, not just their first house, second house, third house, whatever it might be. You know, they spend seven to 10 years in a house. Many people want to fix them up, update them as they live in them. We want to show them how they can get the most out of that process. So we're just trying to put a Bloomberg terminal behind the realtor. Right. We're trying to give them analytics that show their client. I, I understand this house. I understand this asset. I understand this financial investment. And I understand the alternative places you could put your money, including investing more into this house. And walk them through all that. And so walking them through remodel considerations, walking them through, do I go and get a different house today? Do I sell this one? Do I rent it out? All those are analytics we want to provide right front and center and have it be real-time, current, accurate. So that allows the realtor to then interpret which analytics make most sense for that client and advise them through that. And that's the best way to close. That's the best way to ensure their commissions are protected. Their value added is fully contributed. Okay, but I guess I'm still a little bit upset trying to pick up on this idea okay that's all true and but what both you guys said is absolutely true it's it's a sales tool it's a conversion tool it's a lot of those things but you know david kind of the vision you painted for 2022 is this notion of you know ground truth pricing right for real-time tracking and monitoring so it feels like we're going past just the notion of sales right this isn't just overcome the objection this is actually trying to be something more like I don't know, like to your point, your point, like a Bloomberg terminal, because you would think about accuracy differently. You're talking about past historical data or real-time data. Like if Bloomberg says that silver is whatever, $36 an ounce, right? And I go to some silver exchange, I expect it to be $36 an ounce. It has to be, that's accuracy, right? It reflects reality. With predictions, there's, it's never accuracy, right? Because it's all models, and what comes, what brings to mind is like you know the technical analysis guys, the the chart wizards that are looking at all these formations. Like okay, well we have a double shoulder here, so we should see this. <laughs> and it's like, it, but it doesn't happen. Okay, so are you wrong? Is that does that mean your charts, your analysis is inaccurate? Like, how do we think about the word accuracy? I guess in that context, what I'm trying to get at. And so in a way, David, what I'm, what I'm wondering is your mission. On the one hand, seems to be empower consumers and empower professionals to be able to make smart decisions. And on the other hand, is this notion of real-time tracking of portfolio and real estate value. And the two are a little bit at odds, right? That, I'm just trying to resolve that. Like, how, how, how should we think about that? I think this is a response to the number of people that have come to us with new ways of buying, selling, managing real estate. If you look at uh, fractional shares, a company in sale called Arrived Homes, buying a percentage of your equity, like HomeTap, NOAA, Unison. Um, they get into situations where um, they need to see a value for a home and make lightning fast decisions. I mean, you mentioned the iBuyers, exactly the same. Mm -hmm. you know, part of the, the push on Zillow was to compete with Open Door. Um, they had an internal project called Catch Up, just buy homes. And they had to outbid Open Door, which is part of the reason they were driven up in certain markets. Um, 
being able to go to a, a source where people can agree on the price of the home and it's fundamentally substantiated is going to unlock a ton of different models that are trying to be brought to market, but they're currently too much friction in terms of what do I pay for this house? What would it cost to remodel it? How would I put it? If I'm in invitation homes, let's take an extreme example, maybe because they own 80,000 homes. They want to have their capital allocated in the right areas, the right geographies. They want to see what their cohorts are doing today. If I can create a model that runs on every home, I can index any number of homes, any segment I want to. I can look how Seattle performed today as a real estate market. I can look how waterfront homes performed today. I can look how my 1999 cohort is performing today in the Southwest Sunbelt. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we have ability to create those indices and allow this asset class to now be analyzed, traded, exchanged in real time. And I go back to arrived homes. I buy a share. It's three years later. I want to sell it. Okay. Okay. So I can, I can have a first right of refusal. I can put it out in the market. What's it worth? Am I going to go get an appraisal? Am I going to go through that whole process or do we have a liquid market for that? I'm Noah and I bought 10% of your home. And so it's seven years later. Um, I'm the homeowner and I want to remodel that home. I want to put my own money in that home and remodel it. Do I owe Noah a percentage of that equity? No. I need to recalibrate, readjust what Noah's basis is in that home based on my remodel. So how do I do that? If I have a service that can tell me what that home is going to be worth remodeled and I decide to put the money in, then I can adjust the basis. Everybody's happy. That's the kind of use cases that we're trying to meet here. Got it. Evaluation metric that people can agree to and not have a bunch of time and process and cost in, in getting there. You know, yeah. the one thing that I think that would add so much value to what you're doing and going back to your um, comparison to like stocks or whatever, and this is just starting to come up, is um, these offer platforms, right? So that now we would you could have if you could tap into if that was more widespread like something that like you know glide was doing in own owner or open um mls offers i think is another one but you know where the transparency there is for real where you can you know you can see the bids coming in and see and then add that data set into what you're doing now to me that's ground truth there right because what you're not able to see is you know from when a, when a home goes active depending, you know, until it gets, until it goes to the, the change of the status goes to sold, then you see the difference between the active price and, and what it was finally sold for. That pending thing is kind of a, it's, you know, it's really just, it's blurred. We don't know. And it, it sometimes right. that can, that process takes a long time, but to have those real time offer data coming in, that would be fantastic. Yeah, and of course, that's really useful to our model to see bid data. <laughs> so we're working very hard to try and get access, yeah. Yeah. not just to the uh, offer platforms, uh, but to general bid data that's, um, you know, realtors have no incentive to really publish bid data. But um, we're working on a variety of strategies. We're hopeful to get more access to that kind of stuff uh, going forward. But that's absolutely true. You know, if you inform somebody, you know, if you go to a Christie's auction or something you know you're going to get pretty well informed of what 
something's worth before you just start bidding on it. Um, look at a, a company like Sunday that sells uh, market um, homes that you know aren't listable. They're never going to be on the MLS. They wouldn't survive an inspection. So they're sold to people that have, I guess, um, a certain set of skills. A certain set of skills. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so to give them ideas of what that home would be worth fully renovated is a particular motivation to say, wow, okay, um, I can see, you know, not everybody can visualize a fixed up home. Some people can, some people can't, but most people aren't as visual that way mm-hmm. so uh, giving people guidance on what a home's upside opportunity could be fully renovated is a real value to a bidding process like that um i don't know how it always fits into an offer platform because sometimes if there's some authority on value that could halter some of the exuberant bidding um so we're those are early discussions we're not sure how we fit into there but there's a lot of area for ground truth for sure so Greg, I mean, we've been around the MLS industry now pretty much our whole career, right? And one of the things that that continues to resonate is people talking about the MLS is the gold standard of data, yeah. right? It's it's the measuring stick by which you measure everything else. You know, so when you say like Zillow's data is inaccurate, it's because in comparison to MLS data, right? Are we talking now about some sort of future where the MLS is no longer the source of truth and something else is? No, I think, I mean, I think, you know, I think David agree with me here that, you know, in order for his models to work, he wants the best data to, to input, right? It's that old computer adage, you know, garbage in, garbage out, right? So if if there's not a, and I think, you know, the way the model of the MLS is set up, it, it encourages people to put it all in one place and there's policies and procedures to make sure that that data is good. And those can power models like the one David has, right? So without that, without that kernel base level of uh, data from an MLS, I don't. I think these all these mo- models fall apart. If you have to go anywhere which, which way to find this data, who sold it, when did it sell, you know, just the aggregation of the data set itself from an MLS, I think, is is invaluable to all these models. Without question. In fact, I got to use uh, several sources because. Um I need images, too, to train my models. Um, I can't train a a machine learning algorithm on Los Angeles homes and expect it to be accurate in predicting value increases for homes in Atlanta, for instance. Right. Um, They they, they just have different lifestyle, different format, different layouts. Uh, It's all different. And a a model's not going to (laughs) perform in Buckhead like it would in West Hollywood. So um, they have to be trained independently. So we get a couple different MLS sources, um, mostly because we need uh, images. And we have to get those from a a number of different players to, in aggregate, get a full uh, footprint coverage. And we get multiple public records because um, people have improved public records. They've added deeds and liens and, you know, mortgage histories and um, kind of blended and managed their files more so than others. And they have different geographical, you know, strengths. Um, so we have multiple public records, multiple MLS sources just to do what we do today. And of course, as Greg says, more data, um, the, the smarter our um, algorithms are and the faster they learn and the more accurate they get. So maybe I'll ask you the question that I asked, uh, what's his name? Nick. And so according to Nick, who's an appraiser, you know, we interviewed him. uh, He said the most accurate database for properties in the country is Fannie's universal appraisal data set. 
he didn't he couldn't remember whether that was available whether it's you know it's the public or for purchase do you know if the uad is available do you guys use that we do not um i listened to that podcast with great interest yep. nick and i talked for several hours afterwards <laughs> <laughs> we had a great conversation right. uh, and i'll tell you we can help um uh option immensely um but i'm not going to get the rigor the discipline um, we get our data by the way from mls as, as an appraiser that's our permissive right okay. Okay. We're, right we're not a reseller of homes we don't put online listings on site anywhere we don't have an agenda we're not trying to buy buy swap loans send you to a realtor any of that we're trying to empower realtors with the best analytics they've been defensive for a long time against you know the zillows and the redfins and the data driven disruptors and we're trying to give them the best weaponry um but the the idea that um the mls's are the best source of data we know the dirty the data is the fat fingering the number of inconsistent and remember there's only six million homes sold every year out of 116 million or whatever total 80 million homeowner occupied so you know seven and a half years eight years the cycle of getting the data improved and complete is just not not going to work so we constantly look for more sources to get more angles on, on more things we're we're looking at drone footage and and taking data off of imagery is going to be one of the major themes over the next few years i can tell more than just the shape of the roof um and, and how many years it's got life there's a lot of things i can do to project uh, lot sizes and boundaries and how people can remodel and expand and amenities and it'll just get smarter and smarter but um appraisal database if it, if it had more complete coverage it would be you know maybe panacea but mm. okay i was just curious because again we're talking about a government sponsored enterprise you would think if anybody has to make that data at least available you know maybe that you had to pay for it to access but it, you would think that it would be a gse you know and I, and I just i know about it but i can't get a straight answer like yes you can go to fanny and pay them this and you can get the uad and a whatever form and you could do some stuff with it um all right now just curious uh but you guys are in a place so when you talk to when you talk to option right i mean in a way aren't y'all like if if you're fully successful you've achieved your mission it's kind of feels to me like then you won't need appraisal or no, it's back it's great back to great <laughs> <laughs> Some, there's always going to be a need to put eyes on that house. Okay. Professional eyes, okay. in, 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 you know, learned eyes, um, informed eyes on that house. I think we could do a, um, an amazing BPO service. Okay, okay. Where somebody drives by, confirms, but all the report is assembled, all the data is given, but it's still a licensed broker that's familiar with that specific locale mm -hmm. reviews that information and signs off on it got it and okay yeah the time and the cost and the the energy of doing a bpo uh considerably but we're not going to be a full appraiser that really should go beyond where they go i mean a lot of appraisals don't even go inside the house don't see inside the house they don't as, as nick said in your yeah podcast, yeah yeah, yeah. They don't have floor plans they don't know where walls are they don't know the condition of the walls and you certainly can't see surfaces and wear and tear and in a lot of parts of the house so i think um the appraisal 
you know, is always going to be um, an important thing. I don't know what percentage we can solve, but there's a lot of pressure in this industry, of course, to price houses faster, to, um, you know, these refinances are a great example. We already know a lot about the house. It's the same owner. They complain about paying for another title policy. They're going to complain about, you know, another expensive appraisal too, um, especially if they can validate their house through pictures from their smartphone. And there's ways to do that as, as Nick discussed as well. Yeah. And I think, I mean, and, and if I'm correct, Rob, the desktop appraisal, there was a certain subset that they could do that on only, right? It was, you know, houses between that hit this. Yeah. 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 Thing, 90 right? LTV and right, all. Right, right, right. Yeah. 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 That's right. Remember, it's all regulation. I mean, but one of the things I remember if like that I was having a conversation with Nick about, it's like, that's all in the service of some sort of a mortgage, which is a regulated product. And in typically these mortgage banks are using like depositor funds. So, you know, there's all this regulation, layer upon layer of regulation. And the thing that I started wondering about is, okay, now we have this rotation of capital out of bonds and equities into single family residential, big hedge funds, the black rocks of the world, you know, private equity. And, and I remember having this conversation like, do those guys care that much? In other words, if I'm if I'm looking to buy ten thousand homes because I need to place ten billion dollars worth of cash that I just pulled out of treasury bonds, an error rate of like three to five percent. I don't care. You know, I'm not getting a mortgage. I, I don't need a BPO for that. All I need is some level of of uh, reasonable certainty so I can make that investment decision and say, okay, you know what, buy this home, buy for three fifty. It turns out the real value is three seventy five. Okay. It's just that, yeah, that I mean, like. As you explain that to me, I, I get credit default swaps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that yeah. sounds to me like, you know, let's put them all in tranches and we'll mix these things with those ones and we'll mix these with them. But all together, the risk is very low. And the three, I mean, I, you know, it's like but I get kind of like operate, the, hairs in the right? back of my neck start sticking up because that sounds really, really like I'm wa watching that movie, The Big Short, right now. <laughs> I'm the same way. In fact, they've they brought those back to market under a different name. I can't remember what they're calling them now, but uh, we're already back in that business. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I, I, all I would say is uh, more data helps. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. All right. So what do you see as the biggest barrier to this sort of data future? Like what, what are the challenges that kind of get in the way for you guys, I guess? Because I'm assuming you haven't fully achieved your vision yet, or have you? Well, what we did was last summer, I guess in May, we launched a product covering 1.1 million homes in the Seattle area. Mm -hmm. And we did edge cases and, you know, whack-a-mole and um, put our product uh, through the paces, also the consumer experience. We had dozens of realtors using it uh, with their clients. And um, we got so much positive energy in the fall at the, at the conclusion of that, uh, we changed our strategy a little bit and decided to go national much quicker than we had ever earlier had anticipated. So we're in a a national build out right now going from three counties to 3,600 counties. And we have several launch um, partners that uh, demand us to be national in our coverage. So that's the, the task at hand. Uh, we're doing what we did in Seattle uh, for, you know, 3,600 counties. So, so we'll as a, as a vendor myself, I mean, what's the business yeah. model here? I mean, I'm just curious. I mean, are, so is that's this like an API. Can I, can I, 
you know, buy a thousand, you know, API calls and like in cloud CMA and, you know, throw you an address and it's going to throw me back a number. And does that number dynamically change every minute, as you say, or I mean, every second business model. Yeah. You want it. Yeah. So uh, that's exactly right, Greg. Any, you know, modern data company, analytics company is going to make their product accessible. Accessibility is our entire strategy for our pricing, go to market, everything. So yes, we have API calls. So you can embed it into your current layout, your current delivery of information. That's true for MLSs we're working with. That's true for CRM platforms. That's true for large brokerages. Uh, We also have these embeddable widgets, which are entirely self-service. So you can come and um, select a widget. could be the home ticker uh, for people that are just trying to mark the value of something. They could be sitting in an insurance company with an exposure on a policy. They could be sitting in a bank. They could be sitting in a real estate office and saying, you know, what's the value of this inventory in my trade area? The ticker concept Uh, is really the visual. You you just can you can understand that visually and uh, it's going to be great in some areas it's going to confuse people in areas and it's going to be not appropriate in areas it just depends but when you've got an internal portfolio and you want to see what everything's worth and you can come in every day and see how your entire portfolio performed and you can go into an individual property and we can create alerts on that you know it's time to move that capital somewhere else it's time to you know remodel it because you can get higher rents it's all those analytics are going to be part of this so we have a series of widgets we have a widget for just the remodel value that's going to be very popular i think with mlss who are trying to add additional context around a piece of property and show right from the start um, certainly a home's value but what could it be worth Um, you can actually search a property map by what we call plunk value, the fully remodeled value of a home. So you can look for flips on a map, a heat, <laughs> a heat map of, of flip opportunities. Um, so we'll have widgets. Um, we'll also have you know subscription packages which give enough volume for any single agent or small team enough access to all these um, on a volume basis at a fixed price so they know they're not on some sort of a meter all the time. Um, so we're going to try and meet the needs of the buyers on their terms and make it just really accessible and easy to use. Cool. That's cool. pretty neat. Um, it is, it is a future. So like I said, so that's what you've done. Have you kind of fulfilled your mission, your vision when you guys launched this company? Oh no, 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 okay. no. So, our, our North star would be, um, probably the Bloomberg of real estate. Okay. You need to know something right now that's happening right now about real estate. Right. We're there. So what is the title for the, for the podcast there, the Bloomberg. Of there real we go. Estate. Bloomberg of real estate. So what's the <laughs> challenge that you need? Like that's, you know what I mean? What are the barriers to that happening? Is it just simply data? Is it consistent data? Is it spe- like, what, what is it? Data on every home in the country, I'd imagine. Yeah, it's easy to, it's easy to compartmentalize my answer on the technology build out. Um, the data science approaches that have been advanced in the last few years has all made this possible. And mm-hmm. we were surprised how well they've worked. So this is not a technical challenge. It's a data challenge. On the go-to-market strategy, I think our only headwind that, that we don't have all the answers for, and we may never have all the answers for, is people's... Um, view of AI machine learning in a dystopian world where, you know, this is the evil application of technology. Um, We're going to be working very hard to show how these are just functions of what data you put into them. 
they can't be biased if you don't give them data to bias on. Um, we got involved in a PR opportunity. It was in San Francisco. It's a terrible story. Um, a couple had their home appraised. They didn't like the outcome. They didn't feel like the appraisal was fair. This happened to be an African-American couple. Um, so they tried an experiment. They had a, a designer team come in um, and somehow change the, the furniture and the, the layout and all the pictures. And they put in um, pictures of a white family, got the house reappraised. And of course, the appraisal was much higher. I remember seeing this. Yeah. yeah, it's a terrible story. And so we got in, in a dialogue about how our algorithms can be set up to be completely blind of that information, right? Well, that was and, one of the things listed for this desktop appraisal thing with Fannie and Freddie, right? I think I remember reading something that that was one of the reasons why they were doing this. Not only the shortage of appraisers, but this type of, like you're saying here, you know, this blind, the blindness here. Yeah. We should be irate about FICO scores. We should be irate about still some of the built-in redlining and biases in lending um, that has, you know, over the years, just by purposeful intent or unconscious, you know, bias has created an unfair, you know, situation for um, different races, different ethno groups trying to get the same access to housing and financing. Um, and so this is where our technology and data science can add fairness and add level playing field. And, and that would be, you know, something that we want to do. But we also know that um, we can't ever think that we're going to replace many human aspects of buying and selling homes, as Greg pointed out. Um, we're never going to tell an agent how to list, how to sell a, pro a product, a, a, a house in a certain location. They're going to be the local experts. They're going to know the clients. They're going to know the client's objectives, the emotional concerns clients have. So we're not telling them where to list a house. We're trying to get them to closer to ground truth. And there's a lot of things we can do to, to help that. And, you know, I sold a house last summer. It was a rental property I've owned for many years. I went to a I went to a realtor um, who was a local expert, um, twenty plus years in that very specific narrow market, and I asked him, you know, to go through the process. It was actually a house that may have had some commercial. Um, someday it will, but um, I think I got great advice that it wasn't a commercial, but still a residential property for a family. But the CMA they went through was so full of errors, it was embarrassing, in my opinion, for the realtor, um, and was way off. The market was moving so fast, and this was a red-hot market, not a white-hot market, but it was still moving so fast that even agents in the business every day weren't keeping track of what was really going on in that market. Um, you know, So we went through this... Um, challenging discussion we've ultimately listed it at what i wanted to list it at and of course i had a little bit of analytics help <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it sold right away probably could have got more for it even i guess um if i had created some sort of a bidding environment but i just felt you know this was a house that sold for five hundred twenty thousand dollars, and he wanted me to list it for 450 and um, and I'm not one to try and create bidding wars and see who's going to pay me the most. That's just not how I roll. But 
um, it just reaffirmed to me that, you know, he could have gotten a lot different guidance. It would have helped him. It would have helped me. It would have been a higher integrity and interaction all the way around. He could have still decided how he was going to market and where he was going to market um, for, for buyers for that house, um, but could have, could have uh, benefited from a lot of analytically driven advice. All right. Dude, this is a heavy-duty yeah. conversation, but I think it's one that our audience at least is going to appreciate because yeah, think sure. about it, like data, understanding industry structure, this is right up our alley. So, there's so no David, in- this was great. Thank you so much. There's no industry going through more attempted disruption. Before yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I couldn't be more excited to be in the middle of this. This is what we thrive on as entrepreneurs. They're you know, trying to find um, opportunities and there's nothing but opportunity in this area, but we got to be good listeners and, and serve the, the people that, you know, are uh, making a living here in this industry and, and we're excited to do so. So, um, and, and you guys know that better than anybody. So, all right. So if yeah. people want to get a hold of you, how do they find you, David? Well, we're at getplunk.com. And uh, I'm about as easy to find as anybody. I've lived my whole life in the tech career, so it's all documented in every right. possible online. <laughs> you know how that all right. Good. And just before I let you go, I have to, I have to know, how would you come up with the name Plunk for this particular application? Plunking? Yeah. Um this was a long and methodol. I mean, the methodology followed, you know, branding 101. We wanted a one syllable word. So I literally took, you know, the entire alphabet and put it in a matrix. <laughs> we came up with all the one syllable words that just hadn't been taken. <laughs> and then we tested it and it just put a smile on people's face. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes <laughs> that's all it is, right? And so I can think of some other one one syllable words that probably would not have been appropriate for Oh yes. But you know the thing is it's gotta be unique and memorable. Yeah. And yeah. It's those two things, you've kind of nailed it. And uh, we can ascribe the you know the persona to it, but it's an empty vessel naming strategy that just kinda made the corners of people's mouths smile. So we went all right. Well, wonderful. Hey, thank you very much, David, for uh, joining us for this conversation. And thanks, everybody, for listening. It's been great. Thank you. All right. Appreciate it.